Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. This week, John Rosevere joins the show to break down GM earnings, some major self-driving car news from Argo AI, and more. John, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Nick. Always yeah, a pleasure a, to be here. Always great to have you. I think every time I have you, I've had you on this show, John, the past few months is just this idea. We've always got so much news to talk about in autos, oh, new wow. technology, all <laughs> kind of new stuff coming down the pike. More of that today. I think I've said this before. There are days where I get up and I sit down to write and I, I'm like, it's like being frozen in the spotlight because there's just so much, you know, what am I going to talk about first? What am I going to do first here? And we have to kind of triage it, and it, but it can be, it can be wild sometimes. There are just so many new companies, so many new technologies all at once, like in the last year, year and a half. And it's just really, really quite an interesting space. Sleepy old autos would have thought, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. You know, you have a dynamism in the space that you probably haven't seen and, you know, this maybe isn't a big hyperbole, 100 years. Um, and now you see all these companies coming into the space and all this new technological innovation all happening at once. Uh, uh, very exciting. So let's lead off with our first story today. General Motors uh, reported earnings. The General Motors stock has really been on a tear this year. As of this morning, the stock is up 38% year to date, up against the S&P 500, 11.5% trading near an all-time high, at least for this iteration of the business post the financial crisis. What's going on with General Motors? Well, they're executing. I mean, I, I think Mary Barra, CEO, spent several years telling us, you know, this is where GM is going. This is where GM is going. And now they're going there. And and the whole plan is basically to rev up sales of high mar- margin internal combustion products uh, to fund a slew of new electric vehicles uh, using their proprietary battery technology and a proprietary architecture that they've developed uh, working with LG and some other partners, uh, as well as as self-driving via Cruise, uh, which was a little startup in San Francisco they bought a few years back that has turned out into a, a really important subsidiary. They aren't making money yet, but they are closer and closer to their self-driving taxi service. Uh, and and I think Wall Street's finally seeing the story. And you know, I, I think for a lot of analysts in this space for so long. It was Tesla, 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 Tesla. And it's like, oh, wait, you know, the dinosaurs can do this too. (laughs) You know, you're seeing a lot of action with GM, a lot of action with Volkswagen, which is another company that's making good moves, uh, particularly into electric vehicles. Uh, But specifically to what happened this week, uh, GM blew out earnings, uh, which is interesting uh, because they blew out uh, the per share profit number, but they uh, we're in line on revenue, uh, not only with Wall Street's estimate, but what they did last year, uh, which was not a good first quarter amid COVID-19 with factories shutting down everywhere and a lot of uncertainty. Um, you know, they made a net profit of $3 billion. Uh, adjusted uh, earnings per share was $2.25. Uh, Wall Street was looking for $1.04. That's a very big beat. Uh, and like I said, revenue was in line. So what happened here uh, was GM beat on profitability. They came in, they, their operating margin was terrific. Hang on a second, and I'll tell you exactly how terrific. Uh, 13.6%, which is huge for a mainstream automaker. Absolutely huge. Uh, and what happened here is, ironically, it's the semiconductor shortage that we've talked about for a long time. Uh, the world is short of the kind 
kinds of chips that are used for mundane tasks in automobiles, power management, things like that. Uh, this has constrained production for a lot of automakers. They've had to shut down this factory for a week, that one for another week, and we've seen it really across the industry. GM has had some of that, but GM has floated through a little better uh, in part because you know they seem to have a, a more consistent supply from their particular supply chain than some other automakers have. There was a fire at a Renesis factory. Renesis is a chip supplier in Japan that really hurt Ford and Honda and BMW uh, because uh, you know their suppliers are downstream of that chip factory and so forth. That hurt GM less. But what we're seeing with GM, like a lot of the other automakers, they're prioritizing production of the most profitable products. It's full-size pickups for everybody who makes full-size pickups, but also GM's big SUVs, the big trucks, uh, the Tahoe, the Suburban, the GMC Yukon, the Cadillac Escalade, they're all new. GM wants to get as many of them out there as soon as possible, because if you've watched autos for a while, you know that new products command the highest prices, generate the biggest margins, etc. Uh, and so what has happened is that they've cut back... Um, production of things like their crossovers and sedans that are maybe a few years old at this point, not commanding top, top, top price. Uh, and they've been pushing these trucks and SUVs out there and those products generate huge margins. And that's what their dealers, you know, have in quantity to sell right now. And, and with auto demand booming as everybody comes outside after a year of the pandemic um, and says, oh man, I need a new car. Uh, you know, there's a lot of that going on. And, and I, at least in North America and a lot of automakers are benefiting, uh, but that's really what happened. GM's product mix skewed to their more um, profitable products because that's what they're focusing on getting out the door right now amid the chip shortage. Uh, and that's what gave them the fat margin in the first quarter. Now, GM, like everybody else, said, okay, this chip shortage thing is going to get worse in the current quarter, the second quarter. Um, but where some companies really reset their guidance for the full year and said, we're going to take a lot of damage from this, GM uh, came out and reiterated what had been upbeat guidance that they'd given us in February, uh, guidance ranges um, for a significant boost in operating profit over, over the last couple of years, uh, and even said, you know, we're going to be at the top end of that range because we're really optimistic that we're going to be able to deliver all our new products and get enough of our high margin vehicles to dealers and all that. Um, so that certainly didn't hurt the stock any, you know, with that coming out. Uh, they also, you know, the technology stuff is moving forward. Mary Barra emphasized that none of the electric vehicles that are coming are going to be hurt by the chip shortage. You know, the Hummer EV is still on track. Uh, the Cadillac Lyric we've talked about that's coming next spring, which is really kind of their Model X Challenger. Uh, that's that's on track. The other cars that are coming, the there's a refreshed version of the Bolt coming this summer, as well as a sort of Bolt-based crossover. Uh, those are on track. All of that's on track. It's all doing fine. Um, and and meanwhile, its self-driving subsidiary cruise is hitting good milestones. So, you know, Wall Street guys are looking at this, Wall Street people are looking at this and they're saying, well, you know, GM is executing. They're on track. They're positive. The bottom line is growing. They're making the right moves uh, as the as the industry transitions to electric and more connected vehicles and more automated vehicles. GM's right there. Uh, so that's why the stock is up. Right. So they're, they've. they've told the story of the past several years of we're going to move into some of these new technologies. And you're really starting to see uh, that story start to come to fruition somewhat this year. Yeah, one of, the, one of the interesting things, to your point, John, is this idea that, that they reaffirm their guidance despite acknowledging that the, ship, the chip shortage is going to impact their production. Is that just that that's profitability story, the mix story you talked about earlier playing out throughout the rest of the year? Or is that you know more efficiencies being squeezed out of the company? What, what do you make of, of that uh, projection moving forward? I think it's all of that 
to varying degrees, plus, plus a little bit of maybe they scoped out the scale of the problem earlier than everybody else, because they talked about it when they gave their original full year guidance in February. They said, you know, we are taking it, we are planning to take a hit here from the chips, but we think we've got it managed. Uh, and, and, you know, they stuck with that this past week. Uh, but yes, I, I, I think it's, it's that they think they have enough to, to keep banging out their most profitable products, that they think they will have enough for their dealers to sell, that their new product programs are on track, that Cruise is on track, that the electric vehicle stuff is on track. Uh, and, and yeah, they're, they're finding more efficiencies. Uh, they did some of that over the last couple of years, uh, some overt things to cut costs in North America and elsewhere and to sort of retrench the business in search of uh, better margins. And I think some of that stuff is coming to fruition just in time. Uh, You know, we saw a little bit of it in the second half of last year, but, but it, it, it's, you know, throttled up a little more here in the first quarter. And I I think that's going to carry them through the year in good shape. Yeah. You know, I'll just tell you, it's anecdotal. One of my, one of my closest friends, you know, is an electric vehicle engineer at, at, at General Motors and just talking to him, the workload that he's under, I mean, it's clearly a significant priority to, to, to push these, to push these vehicles out and to accelerate their timeline. And they're really at, you know, allocating a significant amount of resources um, over there. So certainly lots of demands on, on the company, but, uh, but they seem to be executing. I, I mean, Mary Barr has come out and said, we want to be 100% electric, uh, plus or minus by 2035. Uh, in auto terms, that's not that far away. That's three product cycles, basically. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a, or, or even more like two and a half. It, it's a lot. And, and it, it, it means there's a lot of focus right now. There are a lot of resources being made available, a lot of senior management focus and attention. And, you know, they really want to deliver this. Uh, the, the unknown is still, to some extent, I, will the customers show up for their electric vehicles? But, you know, if they deliver good products, people will buy them. I mean, we've seen that with other companies. Look at how the Mach-E is flying off Ford lots. You know, obviously Tesla's had great success. If you deliver a product that people want, if it's electric, people will buy it. And and GM's betting the company on that pretty much. Yeah. We'll see how that plays out. One last thing I wanted to ask you about, John, is just on valuation. So, so I opened up uh, introducing this section with the General Motors stock. At least since the financial crisis, the company has kind of changed forms since then. It's at an, at an all-time high. Um, they are executing on, on some of these electric vehicle uh, plans, but there is significant investment between now and those really coming to the fore. What do you make of, of the stock today and its, its pricing? Well, I, I, I mean, on the one hand, if you apply an old school automaker multiple of around 10, 11 times earning, that's about where they are in terms of projected 2021 earnings on their most recent guidance. Uh, but then you think, well, what is Cruise worth? Uh, what is the electric vehicle business worth? What is this? They're investing in you know, a, a whole universe of software for their connected vehicles that are coming out over the next couple of years, where you will f- essentially have an app store and there will be third parties that participate that and in that and so forth, uh, greatly and taking the old OnStar architecture and greatly bumping it up so that it's, you know, delivering data at 4G speeds and so forth. Uh, what's all that worth? And the, the answer is, we don't know. But if you look at the comparables in the marketplace, it's worth more considerably more than 10 times earnings. Um, and, and then, and even just factoring in the bottom line growth GM expects, you, you know, you're going to get a fatter bottom line uh, over the next three to five years, even with all of these big investments, as more of these new products come out, as they are able to command, you know, stronger margins from software enabled products and so forth. Uh, what do I think? Um, 
I don't think it's a screaming buy at this certain price, but if you went out, if you said, I'm going to buy this and hold it for 10 years, I would not argue with you one bit. Uh, full disclosure, I bought it at a considerably lower price and I ain't selling anything. So <laughs> I'm going to hold it for quite a while longer because I think finally after, as, as I said way back at the beginning, after several years of talk, uh, the story is really starting to happen. And this is, you know, I think we're going to see more upward motion in the stock over the next few years. Yeah. To your point on the on the, the cruise valuation thing, it, it is interesting to look at. So market cap of General Motors today, $84 billion. Now, Maybe if you want to do enterprise value, a little bit higher than that. Most recent valuation for, for Cruz, uh, as of the middle, middle of April, Walmart invested in the most recent round, $30 billion. So if you just want to say, you know, Cruz within GM, I mean, that's like 40% of the, the stock. And again, GM isn't 100% owner. But, but when you start doing the, some of the parts, you know, things can get, can get interesting if you, if you break it out. Um, on, on this topic of autonomy, we got some other autonomy news this past week. So as Cruise is, is General Motors partner, and they're also working with Honda as well. Argo AI is another player in this space, partnered up with Ford and Volkswagen. They announced uh, some big news this week about a breakthrough uh, in their LiDAR technology. What does this mean for, for Argo AI and, and self-driving more broadly? Uh, well, it, it's good news, but it comes with an asterisk. Basically, uh, Argo AI, which, uh, let's back up. Argo AI is a Pittsburgh-based company that was a startup a few years ago. It was started by veterans of Waymo and of Uber's self-driving project, which has since been shelved, but uh, was sort of centered around uh, Carnegie Mellon alums in Pittsburgh. Uber was doing a lot in Pittsburgh for a while. Uh, some of those folks came together and formed Argo AI uh, with a lot of money originally from Ford Motor Company. Uh, Ford has, uh, transferred uh, their software people who were working on self-driving, the software team, uh, essentially became Argo employees and part of that team. Uh, subsequently, sometime later, as part of a broader partnership with Ford that we've talked about in the past, Volkswagen made a significant investment in Argo as well. And now they are... Uh, I don't know the exact percentages, but they're, they're treated as equal partners, more or less. Uh, so Argo uh, is building various things for both of them. There's uh, a self-driving taxi service. There's uh, a self-driving commercial delivery service that will use Ford vehicles. And then a little further out, those are both coming sometime in the next year or two. And then more like 2025, there is a self-driving Volkswagen that is based on uh the, that will be based on the production version of their ID Buzz, which is the electric vehicle that looks like a microbus. I'm sure you've seen pictures of it. VW put out a lot of press photos with surfboards on top and so forth. And that'll be both uh, a taxi and a commercial vehicle for use in Europe, autonomous. Uh, so this week's news, to, to come down, they have a new LiDAR system. This is from uh, a company that they slash Ford acquired a few years back. Um, it is a proprietary LiDAR system. They're building it. Uh, I, I don't know which suppliers they're using exactly, but but it's a proprietary system. It's not something they're buying from one of the other LiDAR companies. Uh, it's what they call Geiger mode sensing. And this is an interesting breakthrough uh, with, uh, with a little bit of a complication. This is very accurate. It produces very clear pictures, uh, very detailed images, uh, and it has longer range than just about any other LiDAR system at the market. That's important for highway driving because when you're going faster, you need to see further forward because you're going to be there more, more quickly. I mean, this is, you know, we all remember our basic physics, uh, time, speed, distance. Uh, this this Geiger mode system that Argo has developed uh, with the with the team that they acquired uh, is good enough for highway self-driving. And that is... 
something of a landmark. The downside of this system is that it is physically large. Uh, if you've seen the prototype vehicles going around for years with those big structures on the roof and the thing on top, the, the, the puck that turns around and around, well, it looks like that. Um, the downside, it's not going to be integrated into passenger vehicles sold at retail. The upside, that's just fine for a self-driving taxi or a self-driving commercial van. Nobody cares. Uh, so, you know, this isn't the be-all and end-all of LiDAR. What it is is a system that gives them enough, they think, on the LiDAR front to go to market with a vehicle that can travel safely at highway speeds. Yeah, I think the other the other big thing uh, that they made some, made some hay about is – through their partnership uh, with Ford and Volkswagen, really developing this for, for mass production and durability. So one of the issues that you find with LiDAR is, number one, what John talked about earlier, there, there's a, 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 a distance issue, which just limits how fast you can go with the vehicle while remaining safe. And there's also a durability issue. You have this very sensitive piece of equipment um, that needs to be kept very clean, um, that, that needs to be within kind of very narrow specifications. You've, when you've got a spinning uh, uh, puck, obviously, then that can cause things where things get off kilter. Um, and one of the things they made uh, significant points about it is the durability of the system, the, the ability to, to actually put it into a fleet and, and use it for extended uh, periods of time. And that, that's an issue um, that we've been waiting for a breakthrough there, but not only having the technical capabilities, but also being durable enough to actually work in the real world for an extended period of time. Yeah, there are a couple of companies, Luminar comes to mind, uh, that are producing uh, what they say are automotive-grade LiDAR units. Uh, one of the distinguishing features of this that Argo talked up is that their system, because it's this big thing on top of the car with the puck at the top that turns, they only use one LiDAR sensor. And it's a, it's a very powerful, very precise LiDAR sensor, but it's only one. That simplifies the image integration problem from a software perspective. The computer always knows what it's seeing uh, because it's getting one image uh, round and round and round of, uh, you know, the 3D image of where the car is in space at any given time. Uh, it's not trying to integrate six or 14 or eight different LiDAR sensors that are scattered around the car. Uh, it, and, and they say also that because of the structure of this, that's part of how they made it more durable. For instance, it is an old school revolving one, uh, but it revolves fast enough somehow that that like rain doesn't bother it. You know, raindrops getting on it, uh, snow, a little bit of dust, whatever, that doesn't bother it. It's able to work through that um, and and to keep itself relatively clean. Uh, so, you know, it's it's just, it's kind of a brute force approach, but at the same time, you know, if it works, if it lasts 150,000 miles, uh, if it works in all weather and if it works at highway speed, it's a breakthrough. Even, even if you don't like the way it looks, you know, the commercial customers don't care <laughs> as long as it, you know, fits in the garage and they can maintain it. Right, John. So you mentioned Luminar. Uh, Luminar is a, came public by us back just a, a few months back. Velodyne LiDAR has also come public recently. So there's been several kind of LiDAR names coming to the market. There's also been uh, some rumors that Argo AI has, has explored the possibility of filing for an IPO coming into the future. What do you make of the state of play here in this industry? Does this news change how you're uh, assessing that? No, because there are still plenty of markets. Uh you know, I think what Argo told us is they're not buying an off-the-shelf solution. They've got one that works just fine for their near-term purposes, say, over the next four or five years. Uh, you know, I, I think they expect to develop something better in-house over the next few years. If nothing else, maybe it'll look prettier. Uh, but at the same time, there are still companies. Uh, Ouster is one that's more recently public that uh, 
is not a startup. It's an existing business. They're, they've been selling LiDAR units in some quantity for various industrial uses for a few years, and they've got a little more experience in the bank on how to make a durable unit because of that. I think Auster is still a few years away from you know, full-blown self-driving car level stuff, but, but they're fairly close. Uh, Luminar, uh, has moved very aggressively with automotive grade technology. Their thing is durability. Uh, Velodyne was one of the earlier pioneers in the space. At one time, Ford was an investor. I believe they have exited after the IPO. Uh, Velodyne, uh, is doing less in autos right now and more in industrial things. I mean, there are a lot of things you can use LIDAR for that where you don't require automotive durability or range. Uh, you know, a little robot that cleans out the ducts and all of it throughout your building. The, the LIDAR helps it navigate. Those kinds of little things. Those, you know, those are real commercial applications for which there are markets. And, and to varying degrees, these companies, probably not so much Luminar, but certainly Velodyne and possibly Auster as well, are, are doing things like that. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds more, but that was just an example. But but things where you do need a LiDAR image, but you need it on a factory floor. You don't need it on a highway where traffic's doing 75 in slush, you know, it's, which is a very different kind of problem. Uh, you know, so so there's plenty of market for this as as robotics become more advanced, uh, as as more and more hardware gets automated. Uh, there, there's a there's a big market for LiDAR. I wouldn't presume to tell you how big it's going to be in 2030. I think anybody doing that is mostly making wild guesses. Uh, but certainly where we're focused or where I'm focused day to day in automotive, uh, Ouster is interesting. Luminar is interesting. And it is also interesting uh, that a company like Argo has, has you know, acquired a, a team to develop this thing for them in-house. Waymo has its own proprietary LiDAR system, uh, which is solid state. And, and one of the virtues of that, I understand, is that it's relatively inexpensive, but they need a bunch of units per car to make it work. Um, so yeah, there is a lot going on in this space. And I think a couple of the public companies that we've seen rise up will be winners beyond the, the names we've talked about here. I think it's still very much a forming market. And it, it might be, you know, if you want to profit here, it might be one of those times where you take small positions in the three or four leading ones and sort of see where they go over the next year and then then refine from there. Uh, certainly, it's an exciting industry and it's going to be a growth industry. We know that. We just don't know who's going to benefit from the growth yet. Yeah, certainly. My advice to folks would be, you know, when you see, you know, three, four, five companies come public all, all in the course of a year in, in one space, that tends to say things are a little frothy. And I, I, while I do think you know, uh, there's probably going to be increasing demand for, for this type of technology in the future. I, I would also imagine that um, people may not be as enthusiastic about this, this space in general a year from now than they are today, just given the way the hype cycle works and things like that. But, but to John's point, we do need to remember, um, so LiDAR is really a tool that allows a, a piece of equipment to know exactly where it is located in the world. Now, the most public and, you know, highest profile application of that today is self-driving cars. They need to know where all the other cars are and be able to know exactly where they are um, in physical space. And they probably have the the highest uh, specifications needed to actually make the technology work. But that, that same LiDAR application, you know, any place where you have a machine that needs to know where it's located in the world very, with, with a very uh, high level of, of fidelity, uh, that, that uh, technology can plug in. We should probably just explain. Uh, LiDAR uses an invisible laser to create a 3D map of everything around it. 
that's what it does. Uh, with a self-driving car, uh, what you do is you have it at level four, as we say, which is where the car is limited to where it can go. Uh, usually the limit is that the car has been supplied with a highly precise 3D map of the area it's going to be operating in. And then several times a second, the LiDAR scans and it compares itself with this map. So it knows where it is within a centimeter or two. Uh, which, you know, may sound like overkill for a car, but at the same time, think about parallel parking, you know, <laughs> things like that. You want to be able to do that right. Uh, you know, you want to know when to open the door, that kind of thing. Um, you know, so that's what the technology is. And when we talk about level four, it's using the LIDAR plus a map for that as a sort of belt and suspenders approach to things like GPS so that the car knows exactly where it is with a lot of reliability and some fail safe capability. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's simple explanation for, for for lidar is a lot of people know what radio, what radar is. Radar, you know, like like planes use. You shoot out radio waves. They bounce back and they give you a location of, of an object out somewhere in, in in space. Well, lidar is that, except it's light detection and ranging. You replace radio waves with light waves. Boom, you get lidar. And lidar is obviously at higher fidelity because nothing can go faster than the speed of light. Nothing can pack more data in in, in uh, you know particular um, uh, uh, packet, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah, it's radar, but you're using light waves instead of instead of radio waves. Um, w- one last story, John, I wanted to talk about uh, before we move on, as far as companies adopting technology and just evolution of the auto industry is Stellantis reported earnings earlier this week. This is the company formed by the merger between Fiat Chrysler and Peugeot. Um, what were some takeaways from this earnings? Well, first of all, they're a brand new company. Uh, they were created. The merger was finalized, I think, on January 16th. So they, they really don't even have a full quarter. Second, uh, the thing to know if you are thinking of investing in Stellantis or comparing it with other automakers is that they are going to follow the practice that is common in some European countries of reporting full financial semi-annually rather than quarterly. Uh, so they did not tell us how much money they made in the first quarter. They did, however, give us a detailed business update. They told us what their revenue was. They told us what their sales were. They told us, they gave us some guidance for the full year. They told us they were on track uh, for operating margin. I think it was between five and a half and seven and a half percent, something like that. Uh, and, 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 and basically gave us the basic state of play, but we don't expect a full financial thing from them until early August, they said, when they will report their first half earnings in, in what should be considerable detail by the European Union standard. Um, but yes, one of the interesting things, though, that came out of this that was that was a headline for some folks is Fiat Chrysler uh, had been a big purchaser of emissions credits from Tesla. This was a significant source of revenue for Tesla. In, I think, six of the last seven or eight quarters, it has been the difference between profitability and a loss. These credit sales they get. They get credits from the state of California. Uh, they get credits in China. And they get credits from the European Union uh, for sales of electric vehicles that they can sell to other automakers that aren't selling enough, a large enough percentage of electrified vehicles to meet you know, the standards, which get tighter and tighter every year or two. Uh, Fiat Chrysler, with its truck and muscle car lineup, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, was buying a lot of those credits, uh, mostly so they could sell Jeeps in Europe. Uh, that was largely what they were doing. Their Fiat small cars don't, you know, th- that is their other principal European line, um, aren't so much on the emissions, but the Jeeps were, were thirstier and they needed to buy credits from Tesla to set that off. Uh, 
the other side of Stellantis, PSA, which is the parent company of Peugeot and Citroën, and they also own Opel, which they bought from GM a few years ago, a number of European brands. Uh, they have uh, plug-in hybrids. They have some electric vehicles. They're further ahead on that because you know their home base is they're based in France. The home base is Europe. They've had you know more t- more pressure, both market pressure and regulatory pressure than perhaps we have seen in the United States until recently. Uh, so anyway, with this merger. The upshot is they don't need the European credits anymore, and and this is something like three hundred and twenty million dollars uh, that that Stellantis is not going to be paying to Tesla now for these credits that that had been part of the deal. And I don't know if there's going to be some sort of financial settlement or what. I also don't know how this affects uh, the credits that's that Fiat Chrysler was buying in the United States um, to offset those Ram pickups and Jeeps and you know Dodge Chargers and all that stuff. Uh, I, I don't know how that's going to play out yet, but this is a, it, it was a noteworthy development um, because if you've been watching Tesla and you've been, yay, Tesla profitability, and then look deeper and see, oh, you know, without these credits, they, you know, they ran another loss. They, they're running operating losses, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, these are going to start to go away. I mean, Stellantis might be the first customer backing out in one particular region, but Volkswagen said in its earnings report this morning, yeah, we don't think we're going to be buying credits from Tesla for more than another couple of years because we're going to be selling enough electric vehicles in this huge EV program they're ramping up around the world that we're not going to need to. We will we we'll meet all the goals on our own. Uh, you know, it, it, if you're a Tesla watcher, uh, have that in your head. And as I'm sure, you know, Elon Musk and his team does, they've got to, <laughs> they've got to boost their, their automotive margins or, 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 you know, find some margin elsewhere in order to make up for that over the next several quarters. They, they've got to be really be thinking about that. Uh, but, it, but it was sort of a milestone, you know, in, in, you know, Tesla is, of course, 100% electric, so they have lots and lots of credits to sell to these other automakers that are building up their their capabilities. And now, boom, Stellantis says, "Yeah, we don't need them anymore." Yeah, well, it, it's it's telling too because you know Fiat Chrysler of the the major automakers had been probably the most reluctant to invest in, in cleaning up their um, you know their their fleet had. had very much focused on on selling the highest margin vehicles they could in the form of you know the trucks and, and the jeeps and and things such as that. Um, to be fair, they had a lot of cleaning of their balance sheet to do, and that was always their plan. Was <laughs> you know, I mean, they came out of the economic crisis with a ton and a half of debt, and they 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 have paid that down. But that was why they weren't investing in EVs. Right, exactly, and so and so, uh, but with this merger with Peugeot. Uh, one of the clear uh, motivators behind that, and they tried to go after Renault previously, and that didn't didn't work out. But the, one of the big motivators was we want to get our fleet uh, uh, more clean into our fleet in order to to uh, comply with these European regulations. You've seen automakers across the world taking steps. Maybe it's not acquiring a company, um, but what rolling out uh, uh, products all with the goal of not having to either pay fines to the government or purchase regulatory credits. And, and what we've seen some Stellantis this week is just the first example of a company that has taken those steps that now sees a path to no longer having to, to buy these credits. So I think we're going to see more and more of this moving forward. You've seen uh, the automakers put their chips down as far as uh, constructing more electric vehicles. And so we're really starting to see this industry mature and meaningful competition uh, come out there between Tesla and, and many of these other players. And it'll be interesting to see how things continue to play out. We always knew eventually we would get to this space where, where there would be many players uh, trying to offer uh, electric vehicles. And now it looks as though uh, we're getting there and it's an exciting time.
Yeah, I think in 2011 or so when Tesla went public, we all thought it was going to be like 2018. But <laughs> you know, here we are. Uh, it is finally happening thanks to uh, you know sales nudges. Tesla's gotten big enough that that the other automakers need to keep an eye on it. Uh, regulatory nudges in China certainly and in Europe, and now perhaps coming in the United States with Biden. Um, you know, yes, it's it is happening. These products are real. No more talk of vaporware. You know, people were saying that there, there were Twitter wags saying, you know, oh, the Ford Mustang Mach E is vaporware. It's not real. Well, they're shipping, and people have driven them. And they're like, well, actually, this thing's pretty nice. <laughs> you know, a lot more of that coming. That's just that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So, so maybe last question for you, John. Lots of things going on in the auto industry. Lots of change taking place. What are you paying attention to? What are the things you're focusing on right now? Uh, near term, the chip shortage, but not just the chip shortage. I want to keep hearing that everybody's electric vehicles are on track. Uh, another thing we're watching is the real state of play in self-driving. I think, again, going back a few years, we all thought we'd have some self-driving taxis by now. GM had been talking about launching you know, by the end of 2019 and then sometime in 2020. And now they're saying, no, we're not giving any more dates. We're just going to do it when it's ready. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of that in the industry. Um, as people have realized that maybe this is a harder problem than we thought. Uh, Waymo's well-regarded CEO, John Krasick, left the company a couple months ago. Nobody said why. It doesn't seem to be a scandal, but having met John and, and knowing him a tiny bit, I wonder if sort of the go-to-market plan was being pushed beyond what he wanted to sit and wait for. Um, and that is just speculation on my part. I have not talked to him in a long time. Uh, but yeah, this has turned out to be a lot harder of a problem, but it is something I'm going to be paying attention to because there will be breakthroughs coming. Coming along. Also, looking at the battery space, uh, we all know lithium-ion batteries, as used in electric vehicles today, are not the greatest technology. They're heavy, they're clunky, uh, they're temperature sensitive. Uh, if the car catches on fire, they make boy, do they make a big fire? Uh, <laughs> you know, because they burn and burn and burn and burn. As we've seen, you know, firefighters putting Teslas in giant water tanks to try and put fires out and so forth. Uh, so that space is moving forward. We've seen some indications that solid-state batteries are getting closer to market sometime perhaps by the middle decade, middle of the decade, uh, that's going to be another important thing. That will make electric cars lighter, safer, cheaper, and more reliable all at once. And that will be good. And give them longer range too, longer range per dollar anyway. Uh, so these are the kinds of things I'm going to be watching. Um, it's not so much about who's going to have the hot SUV next year, which is what we might have been talking about 10 years ago, as you know, who is where in the various technology races or maybe pushes is a better word because I don't think in any of this there's a big reward for being a little ahead of somebody else. We just, you know, you've got to get there. You've got to get there. You've got to get to the point where you have a fleet of electric vehicles. You've got to get to a point um, where, you know, you are doing more advanced assisted driver assist systems, if not full-blown self-driving in your retail products. Uh, you know, there's more and more of this coming. And so, I mean, those are the things we watch. Uh, just, you know, the state of play and the various technological upheavals that are going on in the industry. And there are a whole bunch of them right now. Yeah, we'll, we'll continue to watch it, John. And I'll look forward to having you on in the future as we have more things to discuss. All right. Thank you, Nick. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For John Rosevere, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. 